Welcome to the Changemaker Compass podcast, a podcast series hosted through UNA USA, a movement of Americans standing up for the United Nations. I'm your host, Dustin Liu. Within this podcast, we'll have the chance to hear from those on the ground tackling today's most pressing issues and learn about ways we can work together to build a better world. Today, we'll be speaking with Shawan Jackson, founder of Vocal Justice, on the power of storytelling and the importance of public speaking. Shawan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, Shawan, before we begin, uh, we'll start with the check-in round. And our check-in question for today is, what is a practice, person, or place that has been really nurturing during this time of social isolation? A practice that's been really important for me has been watching comedy. I go on YouTube and look up comedians, especially Black comedians, and I just get a laugh out of it. I sit in my room by myself, love hearing their jokes, and it it lifts my spirits and distracts me from all the mess that's happening in the world around me. How about you, Dustin? Yeah, I... uh... You know, I have gotten really into organizing my bookshelf, and I've done it by color. So uh, if you see me looking over there, since we're on Zoom together, uh, it's because I'm admiring my labor of love. So doing a lot of organizing in my room, which allows me to have a little bit of structure in a world that right now seems really messy. Um, well, Shawan, on this podcast, we love to start with the human biography of our guests. So I'm curious if you can share a little bit about who is Shawan Jackson? It's a big question, but I'll do my best to, to tackle it. Um, who is Shawan Jackson? I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, small town called University Park, about 30 miles south of the city. I am a son to two lovely parents, and I am an older brother. My younger brother's name is Shamar, so it's quite confusing when we were growing up. I'm someone who loves thinking about social justice and education and youth voice. That's what I'm fired up to pursue in my my career. And I'm a dancer. I love hip hop dancing. I was in a dance group in college and did a little bit of dancing and in graduate school. And I'm someone who's just trying to do his part to make the world a little bit better than it was when he first entered it. That's awesome. And Shawan, I'm curious, that last piece about making the world a little bit better. When did that start and how did that spark for you? Curious if you can share a little bit about your early experiences in leadership positions or early opportunities to discover your role in the process of social change. For me, it started when I was a kid. My my parents are both very selfless. They do so much for other people. And I especially think about my mom who spent a lot of time at my school when I was growing up, whether it was leading the parent-teacher association or volunteering for our scholastic book fair. And I think seeing her got me fired up about what I can do to help other people. And when I was in middle school, I joined student government. It's your, your token story about somebody who wanted to, to help others and, and get involved with student council. And that opportunity made me say, okay, wow, this is something that I can do right now to make my school a better place. And that activity had a big impact on how I pursued social change and, and leadership opportunities from then on out. Talk to me a little bit about that experience being in student government in middle school. Um, was there a moment that really stands out to you or, or an opportunity where you were like, yes, I am a youth leader. I have an ability to activate my voice. I'm curious how that journey looked like for you. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't that profound in seventh and eighth grade. It was mainly setting up the school store, preparing agendas to talk about school dances that we're having. But what I liked was the sense of ownership that I got when I was in middle school. I remember when I was in eighth grade, for example, I got to 
create the agenda for our weekly student council meetings. And it wasn't the teacher who wasn't doing it. It wasn't the principal saying, hey, this is what you have to say. It was me coming up with that myself. And I think having that type of agency at a young age was really empowering. So not a specific moment that stands out per se, as much as the autonomy that I got in a sense to to lead stuff and whether it's conversations or events that was happening with other students. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit more about where that feeling of agency led you. How did that experience in middle school uh, bleed into high school, bleed into college? It led me to keep doing student government. So I have been a, a student council guy since sixth, seventh grade onwards. I did it all throughout high school and all throughout college. And having that type of agency in middle school made me think this is something that I really, really enjoy having a chance to identify a problem, lead conversations, plan events, and think about policy change. So that was something that I went after in in high school. And I got really fired up in high school um, when I ran for a student body president. I was at a boarding school. It was a math and science school about an hour away from home. And we had a lot of chance to influence what it was like to be a student living on campus at that school through student council. And we got to plan a lot of social events. So having that much control over what our school environment was like was, was really special to me. And Shua, I'm curious, you know, when you look back at those experiences, what were the role of adult allies in your life for people who really opened those opportunities to you um, as a young person to make change? Um, what did that look like? Are there particular people that really come to mind when you think about the, the term adult allies? 110%. I think, I think about a lot of people. In high school, I had a mentor named Dr. Rushi. She was my advisor, not for student council, but for another group that I was a part of which was the student committee for IMSA advancement. And IMSA is the acronym for my high school, the Eleanor Math and Science Academy. And she was someone who pushed me a lot. She, she really saw the best in what I could do as a student, as a teenager at the time, and would have me writing letters to legislators, leading projects for us to coordinate events between state legislators in our high school, and would give me the freedom to do that work. And if I didn't perform well, she would give me honest feedback about how I could be better. And I thought she had a really good balance of critiquing me when I needed to be critiqued and pushing me and also being empowering and giving me the freedom to just do what I wanted to do and get things done. I also think about another mentor of mine, uh, Keith McIntosh from my high school, who was my advisor for student council. And he was just such a calming presence to be around. He was really fun and chill. I was super type A in high school. I'm still pretty type A. And having an ally who could think about the big picture, make sure I stayed calm, focused on what I needed to get done and not all these other distractions that I was stressed about was really comforting for me in high school as somebody who was a bit scattered mind, if you will. And that type of support was really important to me too. And I'm wondering, you know, as you moved into adulthood, as you went to college, how did this idea of leadership transfer over? Curious if you can talk a little bit about, you know, the opportunities you had to take leadership positions in your collegiate experience. Yeah, so in in high school, I was largely focused on what I could do to improve my high school community through student council. And I was also involved in a leadership education program that was centered around that. When I got to college, I was thinking about leadership in that context as well, but also about how we can use our opportunities to make the world around us better. That became a bigger focal point of mine. And so I joined a lot of activities in our civic engagement center and also did student government. 
Um, for, for college, I, I went to Princeton and I was fired up about the Civic Engagement Center there because they had some civic engagement trips that you could lead on different topics, whether it was criminal justice or immigration or homelessness. And those types of trips I thought were awesome because you're educating your peers about these important topics and you're getting them fired up to tackle them once they leave college. And that that latter piece was really important to me. It wasn't just, I'm going to help you, a Princetonian who already is quite privileged in many ways, um, just learn more about these issues, but I'm going to get you fired up about how you can solve them in the future. So I led one of those trips with my best friend in college to Houston, Texas. We led a trip on youth incarceration, and the juvenile justice system and reentry programs. And I love that opportunity to think about how we could inspire people to focus on issues outside of the Princeton bubble. Something that we think a lot about is the opportunity to help youth see themselves as problem solvers. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, you know, if, if you can share a moment where you saw someone that you were with, perhaps on that trip or another experience, really see themselves transform and be activated as an agent of change. Yes. One of my my best friends on that trip was, she was a a first year student at the time and I was a second year student. And before that trip, I think she knew a bit about the topic of our criminal legal system, but not the depth at which we, we learned about it on the trip. And she has told me many times since that it was that trip that got her really fired up about pursuing justice in the criminal legal space. And that really, really, really touched my heart. She decided to uh, write her senior thesis about the topic. She went on to become a Marshall Scholar, where she studied the topic abroad. She is now in law school at Harvard, um, going into her last year, and is continuing to study that topic and is committed to getting rid of our carceral state in the, the United States and advancing Black liberation. And I think that's in large part due to the trip that we, we organized when I was a student. Of course, I don't take credit for all of that. <laughs> right? there, there were many moments along the way that continue to inspire her commitment to justice. But from what she's told me, it was that type of trip where she had an opportunity to, to learn about these issues that got her fired up about how to tackle it. Hmm. Shawan, I'm wondering if you can speak about how we can provide those opportunities to help youth see themselves as problem solvers and create access around those opportunities to, for folks who may not have access to well-resourced programs in higher education. Um, how do we mend that gap? And how do you think that looks like? Or what do you think that looks like? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Right now, to your point, it's largely happening in higher education, where you have a lot of money and a lot of people who are able to support this type of programming. I think we need to start this type of programming earlier. I mean, I don't understand why our middle schools and our high schools in the United States don't have a larger focus around social justice education. Concretely, what that could look like is teachers talking openly about issues that are going on in the world and giving students opportunities to solve them. It could be people who are working in this space coming to high schools for a career fair and getting students fired up and excited about what they can do in that space too. Or it could just be students saying, hey, this is something I don't like about my high school right now or my middle school. Let me come up with a proposal about how I want to change it. And not necessarily just saying that people in student government have to do that. So I think if we were to reorient how we think about our our education system to be more around social justice education and cultivating change makers, we could definitely achieve some of those goals. But we largely say, you know, we have to focus on reading and writing and math and then 
the social justice and change maker piece can be a nice to have, but I think it should be it should be a must have. Siobhan, I'm curious if you can share a little bit about how your personal identity or your personal narrative keeps you resilient in the face of many challenges that come up with this work. Um, the way in which I like to describe it is, you know, the reality that we're living and the world that we know it can be. You know, how do you stand in that gap and how do you stay there? I, I remind myself of two things. One, what's the cost of not doing this work? And then two, what's the benefit of doing it? So on that, that first point about what the, what the cost is of not doing this work, I'm reminded of students that I've worked with myself who might not have an opportunity to view themselves as a leader. They're not feeling confident. They're not feeling motivated in school. They're dealing with a lot of struggles outside of school and, and don't feel empowered to continue with their education because of those, those barriers. And that's so disheartening to me. And we know that those issues are disproportionately impacting black and brown youth from resource constrained communities. And I can't live with that world. So when I think about that, I say, okay, as hard as it is for me to continue this work, it's much harder for that student to have to deal with all of these struggles and not feel empowered to solve issues that are impacting them directly. And then also think about the benefits that can come if we continue to strive towards a better world. I think about students who have had access to social justice education, who have been viewed as a leader, and they feel more confident in who they are. They're thriving in school. They might have a lot of stuff that they're dealing with outside of school as well, but they're able to navigate those challenges the best that they can in order to to make life better for for themselves and people around them. And that that keeps me motivated. So kind of holding both of those truths or ideals in my head about the reality about where we are and how things are so so difficult for so many marginalized folks and thinking about how the status quo doesn't have to be where we end up and we can be in a better place. And it's a lot of self-talk to remind myself of those narratives, but it's what, what keeps me going. Siobhan, I'm curious if you can share uh, a little bit about the process in which you found your voice. It sounds as though in that process, really finding yourself as a change maker, you've shared a little bit about your experiences in middle school and high school, uh, but it sounds as though you're making this a commitment for your life, right? You're making it a career and you're really committing to this idea of social justice and being an agent of change. When was that point where you realized that this was a commitment that you wanted to make? I realized that I wanted to commit my career to social justice education late in my my college careers so for for context in in high school i was always fired up around educational equity i was a student who grew up in a relatively low-income community i'm a black student and there are several barriers that that came with me accessing a good education because of those identities and that got me fired up about how we can help other students who hold those identities get access to a good education but when I got to college, I realized that education is not just about economic mobility. That is an important outcome, and I, it is something that I have been able to access because I got a great education. But I realized that my colleagues at Princeton were not learning about power, privilege, identity, and that's a problem because if you don't learn about those topics in school, how are you going to be able to address them in your career? So once I realized that gap, I started thinking about how we can reorient our education system to be more, more around social justice, realizing that I lack that education for myself in high school and that a lot of my peers lack that education as well. And now that I've started doing that work, I've realized that a lot of benefits can come from it. It's not just about 
getting people to advocate for social justice, which is an important outcome, but you also, through that type of education, have students who are developing skills that will help them thrive as students and as professionals as well. So in many ways, it's a win-win situation. You can get the economic mobility that you want, and you can get the social change outcomes that you want too. You started alluding to your work a little bit, uh, and I'm wondering if we can pivot and have you share a little bit about vocal justice and the work that you're pursuing right now. Yes. Vocal Justice is an organization that I'm launching. It's not yet incorporated, but the goal is to incorporate it soon. And our mission is to teach undervalued high school students how to communicate effectively about social justice. And what we're focused on at our core is helping students build their communication skills and their critical consciousness at the same time. So we don't want students going out there learning how to give a really good speech but not being critical about what they're saying and how they're presenting their ideas. But we also don't want students going out there knowing so much about social justice and then not being able to talk about it in ways that can actually move the needle on these issues. So we try to tackle both of those those problems at the same time. And specifically what the program looks like is it varies in terms of length depending on the time of year. But during the summer months, it's a class that we teach every day to students over a four-week summer school. During the school year, it's us going in once a week and facilitating workshops. And the workshops go through three different units. We start with self-awareness where students reflect on who they are, what they care about, what their own truth is. And then we transition to social awareness where we learn what structural oppression is. And in our last unit, we talk about how you can communicate effectively and authentically about these topics so that students realize they can stay true to who they are when they're speaking up about these issues and connect with people who might otherwise disagree with them. I want to double click on that last point that you just made around the importance of being able to communicate one's story and also communicate across difference. Curious if you can zoom in for us a little bit around why that's important to you and what your model of change is for vocal justice as an organization. It's important to me for a few reasons. One, storytelling is a powerful tool for social change. This is clearly demonstrated in the scholarship on this topic. And whether or not storytelling should be the means to advance social justice is is one topic of discussion, but we do know that it can work. And if you're able to tell your story in a powerful way, you can change how people perceive that issue and get them motivated to do something about it. So that's one reason why it matters. But even beyond that, it matters for the individual. I've seen people that I've worked with when I when I taught them public speaking, be it in a prison or be it in an after school program, that their confidence shoots up. So many students who have been marginalized because of their identities and experiences often feel silenced, like they have nothing to say. And if you focus on storytelling, you're validating that they do have something powerful to say, which they do. And you're making them feel better about themselves and giving them a sense of confidence that they might not otherwise have. And then in terms of how it, it works for vocal justice in terms of our theory of change, we, we start with personal storytelling because we believe that if you can feel confident about your own story, then it will make it easier for you to tell stories or deliver speeches or have conversations about social issues that are a bit more abstract. And we intentionally start with your personal story so that You understand where your own strengths are, and then you can leverage those strengths when it comes to talking about social justice issues. So if you're someone who's really creative, for example, 
You can learn how to tell a personal story about you being in the arts when you were a kid or how your family is really committed to the arts. And then you can think about how to connect your passion for the arts to what you think about education, how that should be a bigger part of our school curriculum. But you can't do that advocacy if you don't understand your, yourself first. And Shimon, that second piece around learning how to engage with others unlike us, right? Learning to engage across difference. I'm curious what that looks like and what that means to you. That part, engaging with people who are different with you is really, really hard. What that, what that looks like varies depending on the type of advocacy that, that you're doing. For, for us in the program, we think a lot about communicating again across generational differences. So we have our students think about what would it look like if you wanted to go to a teacher and talk to them about a concern that you have in your school? Or what would it look like if you wanted to go to your principal and speak up about a policy that you want to change at your school? So that's concretely how we think about that communication across difference in our program. And what we try to emphasize with students is that as you're communicating across difference, it's tempting for you to change how you speak or how you present so that you can make yourself more palatable to the person that you're presenting to. And while that could be a strategic choice, it also diminishes your authenticity during the process. And we make clear to students that they should be themselves when they're advocating for for social justice issues and that they shouldn't have to change who they are. If they do want to modify their presentation to an extent, yes, that, that could make sense, but they have to make that choice being cognizant of the fact that they can't sell out too much so that they, they actually stay true to themselves throughout the process. For you, why is it important that young people stand up and are engaged in social issues? Why is it important that young people are engaged in social justice? We need young people engaged in social justice because adults clearly have not figured out the answer. And a lot of adults are, are jaded about the process. So I think if you have young people who have fresh ideas on not just the problems of social injustice, but what the solution should be, you get more compelling ideas about how we can move the needle on these issues. So I think that's the big reason why we need people speaking up. The other reason why we need people speaking up is because the research shows that if you start speaking up at a young age, you're going to be more likely to do it later on in your life. And advocating for justice, fighting for justice is not something that you just do at one point in your life. It's a lifelong career. And I want students to start honing in on those skills at an early age so that, one, they're inspired to do it again later in their career, and two, so that they are more equipped to do so effectively, given that they've had some practice to do so at a young age. You shared a little bit about the importance of understanding one's gifts and how it connects to Mm -hmm. the needs of the world. And I'm curious, Shuan, if you can share a little bit about your gifts and how they meet the needs of the world that you see. I don't have many gifts. (laughs) But but thank you. Let's see. I think one gift that I have is being able to communicate in ways that resonate with multiple audiences, but still speak truth to power. And, and what I mean by that is being able to, to describe hard truths to someone who might have a lot of privilege and power in our society that doesn't alienate them or attack them, but, but empowers them to make a change distributing their power and privilege to those who don't have it. And in terms of my work, I'm trying to use that gift by mobilizing a lot of support for our organization from from folks who have access to a lot of financial resources and human capital. So pitching our organization to people who might be in more lucrative careers, for example, so they can provide financial support or pitching our organization to 
to organizations that have a lot of human capital that might be able to share their resources with us as we develop our curriculum. So I'm trying to bridge together worlds that have a lot of power and privilege to to those that, that don't have it to make sure that we can get as much as we can done with, with local justice. And as folks listen to this podcast, I'm curious if you can share the challenges of that self-work, the challenges of confronting yourself and your identity and your narrative and any advice you would have for young people trying to grapple with their narrative? It, it is hard to grapple with, with your narrative. So one thing that I think about is with vocal justice, we're intentionally trying to support students who are not already engaged in leadership opportunities, who are not already fired up around social justice. And I was not that student in high school. I was the student who was really involved in student council, who was really involved in the classroom. So in many ways, I'm trying to support students today who have an experience that is different than what I had in high school, even though our social identities in terms of our race and ethnicity and our socioeconomic status is similar. And that's that's a hard reality for me because it makes me question how much I actually understand the students that I'm working with. And in terms of self-reflection, I... I'm constantly thinking about what are the gaps in my own knowledge. There's only so much that I know given my own experiences from high school. And I just have to be honest about that. And it doesn't mean that I can't do the work. It just means that I need to bring in different voices who have knowledge that I don't. So for any person who's listening to this podcast, be be a young person or someone else, I would say continue to think about what you don't know. We don't know everything. That's okay. This is a team effort, and we need to just make sure we're bringing together people who have different gifts and perspectives to make sure that we come up with the best solutions possible to advance social change. Awesome. We're going to move into the rapid fire question part of our podcast. So I encourage you to keep it brief and brilliant. Um, How would you define leadership? I would define leadership as actively listening to other people's needs and working with them to come up with a solution. What advice do you have for youths hoping to be change makers? The advice I have for, for them is to explore lots of different social issues by reading articles, talking to people impacted by injustice, and, and doing whatever they can to, to tackle it. Where do you hope the world to be in 2030? I hope that as a world, we respect youth voice and that we have found some good solutions to tackle our climate crisis. What UN sustainability development goal are you most passionate about and why? I'm most passionate about the goal with regards to education. I think education can be liberating. It's our, our fourth goal. And if you have access to a lot of knowledge, then you can, can do more in the world. How can listeners uh, get involved in your work around vocal justice or your work around storytelling? If they're, they're interested, they can find me on LinkedIn and reach out so that we can, can talk about the work. We're still developing a lot of our online presence. So right now, the best way is just to contact me directly. First name is Shawan and last name is Jackson. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Shawan. Wonderful to chat about storytelling, about your narrative, and about the importance of young people standing up in this moment. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It was really nice t- chatting with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Changemaker Compass. If you'd like to learn more about UNA USA, find us at unausa.org. If you'd like to follow along my journey and learn when new episodes of Changemaker Compass are released, follow me at US Youth Observer on social media. 
If you have suggestions for the podcast, you can reach me at usyouthobserver at unausa.org. So grateful to have you part of our podcast audience. Look out for our next episode coming out soon.